Hello friends and welcome to this episode of Men Are Trash, a show where men are fucking trash. Just joking, this is audio shitposting episode 2, an episode in which men are, continually, trash. My name's Grace Tompkins, I'm your host, and today I have a cold, but it's not really a cold, it's just like a... It's just like a general one of those situations where you finish everything and your body then gets ill. So apologies if I sound a little bit like low and husky, but that's just where we're at. The episode of the TV show, The Good Cop, we're talking about today is what is the supermodel secret? It was written by Andy Breckman and directed by Randy Zisk, who has a great name. The IMDb summary for this episode is a man is murdered by a giant white bunny rabbit. Tony Senior meets a beautiful woman with an ulterior motive. Vasquez has her first case as a detective. That, like, uh, sure, sure. This is my summary though, which is obviously better. Um, and much, much longer. Tony Senior attracts the attention of Belinda Manning, a successful model and mogul who is obsessed with finding his phone. They spend the day together while Tony Jr. and Cora investigate the death of a man who was killed by a bunny. It turns out the bunny used to be Ms. Mannix's manager when she was a sex worker. She's also fucking ruthless and shoots a man who she hired to do the hit on Angry Old Man who had secretly taped her private dances and was blackmailing her. Are you following? I'm not really. It's fine though. Uh, so the reason she's hanging out with Tony Senior is because she butt-dialed him, awful term, whilst she was meeting with the hitman that she hired. But the team catch her, not for Tony Senior has plenty of chance to be a garbage human being who treats a perfectly nice serial killer like an object. Yay! This is also definitely an episode of CSI that I've seen, and like I know this because when I was 14 I watched nothing but CSI, and I mean like nothing else, and so I watched pretty much every episode that there has ever been. Can you guys believe I used to think I didn't have an addictive personality? Anyway, that's the episode. Let's get going. Scene one. We're on a street in New York. There's mascots everywhere. And I think they're just, like, paid to harass passers-by. I don't know why. If someone is who is, I don't know, maybe does it or knows why people stand in the middle of Times Square dressed as characters like what do the how how do they make money doing that or is it just a fun thing I just don't know but I'm just gonna in the mascots in order of appearance are red and blue monster who does nothing but waves off-white bunny anemic chicken desperate Mexican lizard with the whitest voice you've ever heard the statue of liberty uncle Sam a happy penguin and they're all on a zebra crossing Also, it took me a very long time to figure out what Uncle Sam was. I thought, like, he was just a man wearing the American flag in a lot of different ways, but apparently he's, like, patriotism incarnate for Americans. So, like, what corgis are to British people, you know? So in the scene, the bunny's harassing this angry old man who I will refer to exclusively as Angry Old Man, or AOM for short. Ah! AOM. AOM makes it... gets to the hotel he's staying at and is promptly murdered by a man wearing a bunny head and a leather jacket hell yeah scene two we're at the bar there everyone's at the bar playing poker basically we're told by tony senior that cora has been made detective because he says you're supposed to be able to tell when a man's bluffing you're a detective now two things about that He puts the stress on mans, which makes it seem like he doesn't think detectives can tell when women are lying. 
Um, like, no one could ever tell if a woman's lying. And I mean, he certainly can't. We find that out in the episode. But we were told last episode that he was, like, the best detective ever. So maybe in this, like, all this is some kind of alternate reality in which detectives just can't understand women at all, even if they are women themselves. And I think that would be really, like, maybe a better TV show than this is, because this isn't great. Um, and the second thing... <clears throat> the second thing... Um, is that Cora's become a detective? Yay! Do you guys like how they wanted to show that has like that um, Cora has grown and improved without having to actually put the work in to show a woman actually being successful? So instead, they just like tell you that she is and expect you to be pleased that she's allowed to speak. And that's 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 all I have to say about that situation. So they're playing poker. Belinda Mannix walks in in a pair of crisp aviator sunglasses, looking like a gender-swapped Tom Cruise, and sits in a cute little booth. Burrell knows who she is, and Tony confirms it because he spied with his little nerd powers that she has this, like, ugly fucking tattoo of a parrot on her finger. So then Creepfest 2018 begins, with Tony Danza as headliner and Josh Groban in supporting roles. Um, and Tony slides into that booth that Belinda is just, like, sitting and minding her own goddamn business, um, and begins, like, mercilessly harassing her. And I would like to point out, at this point, that in the first episode of the podcast that I did, the kind of, like, six-minute one where I read reviews, many of the happy customers called this a family show. Like, a family-friendly show. He is sexually harassing this woman. And you're telling me that that's fine, that this is a family-friendly fucking show. Like, is this the Middle Ages? Does Andy Breckman expect people to be okay with this? Why are people okay with this? Because obviously, like, actually people are okay with this. And it makes me so fucking angry because people are going to watch this with their children and the whole family will laugh and have a good time and the children will think that this is appropriate behaviour. And then it'll be reinforced again and again as this family watched nothing else but this 10-star, family-friendly, genius comedy all of their lives until eventually the eldest son has his 21st birthday because in America you have to be 21 years old to drink which seems fucking insane and he finally gets to go to a bar and he's looking around the bar for a friend that he doesn't have and he catches eyes with a girl she's sitting alone waiting for a friend maybe probably a friend that she does have and her hair falls dark and full over her back and her smile is like sleep to the freezing and he looks down, his face red and his heart beating fast. This is her. This is his Belinda Mannix. He finishes his drink in one and orders two more mojitos because mama didn't raise no fucking pussy. And he carries the drinks over to the table where she sits, the woman he will care for forever. He imagines sharing hot chocolates with her as snow falls soft and heavy on the New York streets. He imagines kissing her soft forehead as she sleeps, brushing the hair out of her face when she's chundering after a night out with the girls. He imagines meeting her parents, popping on Spotify and blasting Josh Groban till 3am, watching The Good Cop with her, seeing her eyes widen as she realises this, this is the best family-friendly show in the world. This boy stands in front of her, chugs both mojitos one after another because again, mama didn't raise no fucking pussy, and he'll try out his Tony Danza's sweet pickup tricks because he hasn't ever been shown how to treat a woman who doesn't already serve a purpose in his life in a respectful manner. And this will be the response, ladies and gentlemen, variations thereupon, I submit. 
a beta male story of rejection due to patriarchal miseducation leading him to believe he is worthy of a woman's time simply because he wants it. I'm shocked by the behavior of the people of Hollywood. So he's just like mildly threatening her and we're fine with it because it's funny, isn't it? Anyway, the final thing he says to her, right, is like he essentially gives her his address and he says he lives four doors down from the bar, which is just not consistent with the shots of their house that we have been shown throughout the other episode. And I just, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's the end of the scene. And we move on to the next one. So we're at the Caruso household. It's the next day. Tony Senior is the most hungover, which is a very strong mood. And suddenly Belinda Mannix is at the door. She apologises for being rude and then makes him a hangover cure called a prairie oyster, which is just a Bloody Mary with an egg in it. Um, we learn a bit more about her. Her website is actually just an Instagram page and she says she's cleaned up her image a bit because she's going for this like Disney role. But the pictures are really pretty like scantily clad and she seems pretty proud of that. And it's like part of her brand. So like maybe the tapes released of her stripping like would have lost her the Disney role, but it's like, it's fucking 2019 or like 2018 when this was made. There, there are like laws against revenge porn and that kind of thing, do you know what I mean? It just, this just seems like such an out of date storyline generally because they're trying to make her seem really like sexually confident and like really, she knows what she's doing, she's got a plan, she's like a millionaire or whatever and she has like a multi-million dollar business and yet she like, it's just a bad it's just a bad storyline it just is like i said i've seen it before i saw it on csi anyway this scene in particular is long and expositional josh groban's a fucking dweeb who like can't believe belinda mannix is interested in his dad which she obviously isn't um and he's very uncomfortable and really like projects that onto the audience and makes everyone else uncomfortable along with him uh, Tony Senior's lost his phone and he can't remember anything from last night. Again, relatable content. Uh, and Belinda's like, oh my god, let's go find it. Um, and let me just say right now that Emma Ishter, who plays Belinda Mannix, great job. She's a good actress. Like, really, like, yeah, good job. So they, um, they set off on this adventure. Scene two, they're at the barbershop. Tony lies and says he lent his jacket... Um, with his phone in it to his, his friend Wendell Kirk so he can show off the beautiful woman he's managed to bag. 
because women are achievable goals and not autonomous beings, obviously. To be fair, she does call him out on it, but then she forgives him and does a motivational speech about how much of a mogul she is, so I like, I'm out. It's a pretty quick scene, um, and I have pins and needles in my left foot. Okay, next scene. Um, so it's the crime scene of AOM, Angry Old Man, we remember from the first, the first scene, the one that was killed by the bunny. Um, and there are three detectives at this crime scene, which it seems like it's the whole of the all-city homicide unit at this one crime scene. And I don't know anything about New York, but I think, like, there's more than one murder in general in New York. So the fact they have three detectives on one case, I don't know, it seems weird to me. Anyway. Josh Groban's all distracted and being, like, incredibly unprofessional in front of, like, this murder. Cora takes him aside and is like, she's an adult, let her live, she needs to bang it out. Talking about Belinda Mannix and Tony's dad, obviously. Um, And then Tony is like, oh, they've spent the whole day together, no one knows what's going on. Cora, like, does not have a response to that because... It doesn't make sense. Obviously, it doesn't make sense. Um, the next scene is at the bar, which seems like it just is always open. Um, and there's this weird ukulele song because they're looking through the lost and found, and he finds his old ukulele because obviously, you bring your ukulele to the bar that you go to. Uh, I, I just don't know. And then he, like, yeah, he, so he serenades this fucking supermodel. Um, and it's really sad and quite, like, embarrassing. I'll play a bit for you now. After you gone, let me cry. After you gone, there's no denying. You'll feel blue, you'll feel sad. You'll miss the bestest pal you ever had. Do you think maybe, like, in his contract, he just has, like, Tony Danger just has, like, I want to sing every chance I get. Every time there's a possibility, just, I want to sing. I think that must be what it is. Um, because why, like, what, what does that add to anything? It just doesn't. Um, it's just, again, filling time. So then he's like, oh, let's give up on this whole phone-finding adventure. And she manipulates him by telling him that he's like her father um, in that he never stuck... and in that her father never stuck to his promises because women be having daddy issues, obviously. And so they carry on hunting for the phone. Next scene, we're at the police station. Angry old man has been divorced and married a load of times, or married and divorced, I suppose. And Cora makes a little joke about her love life because what is a strong woman with a great career without terrible luck in men? Um, And exclusively men as well. This is the most heterosexual TV programme anyway. Josh Groban misses out on this lovely joke that she makes at her own expense um, because he's obsessing over his father. But that's the whole scene. Like, (laughs) he doesn't, he doesn't say anything. He just ignores her. And that, like, we know he's preoccupied. You've already showed us he's preoccupied. This, uh, blah, 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 blah. 
It's just too long. It's too long. This show is too long, everyone. It's too long. Maybe I'll do an ASMR episode. I don't know what that sounds like because I've turned the feedback off. But I wish that kind of I knew what this sounded like. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'll do the rest of this like ASMR. So we're in the city and Tony is talking about the mafia and it's very intense and she seems weirdly impressed by the fact that he like used to steal shit. Anyway, I'm going to go back to this. Um, and then these these two like great, very respectful, non-trash men who get very excited to see a Victoria's Secret supermodel and they take a picture. Again, there's no need for this scene. That's the entire thing. We're done. Um, next scene, they're back at the police station. I would just like to reinforce to listeners that the set is so weird. Like, the set... I... Uh... Uh... Anyway, murder me. Um... The next thing I've written, and I don't quite remember why, is just the phrase, least convincing actor in the world. So let's try and figure out who it is. Oh, I was talking about tech... The tech guy. I... I can't remember... Like, he just, the whole, it's just trash, it's a trash episode. So I'm just going to play you a clip, the the specific clip that I'm talking about, because this is another example of them thinking that they have a joke, and they just don't. Like, there's just, it's just, there's nothing, the pacing is terrible. Guys, hey, you're going to want to see this. There's no emotion in that voice, and I know his, like, thing is that he's not meant to be, like, emotional whatever but jesus it's just not the whole thing is not good but also he has a very cool lava lamp on his desk um i appreciate that um it lights up i love a lava lamp lava lava lamp and now they know the aom was killed by a man in a bunny costume that's the end of that scene next scene is at patel's oh yeah that's where they were going it's the like curry house that they always go to after a night out Tony gets chased out of Patel's because he vomited in the freezer, which, like, Tony Senior gets fucking wild on a night out for a man of his age. You're joking with me. But then they go through this whole thing. She reinforces again that she runs a $40 million company and then apologises for wanting to find his phone. He forgives her because she's pretty and then she kisses him. But I'd just like to say that... No one who owns a $40 million company is doing their own dirty work. Like, if you are being blackmailed and you have a $40 million company and this person that is blackmailing you works, has like a shit job, no money, just bury him in lawsuits or get your assistant to hire a hitman. People who have a $40 million company don't do that shit themselves. Have you read the Mueller report? Because I'm getting through it and most rich criminals just hire Michael Cohen and Roger Stone to deal with their problems. So I'm just saying not relatable content. Next scene, we're at Wet and Wild, which is like the place that AOM worked. And he, I, d- I don't know what to call it. It's just like a, like a, like an agency for sex workers i guess or like for strippers anyway maybe not actual sex workers but they 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 never bother making any kind of um what's the word i'm looking for uh they never make any kind of distinction between whether or not they're strippers or prostitutes or some and some or you know there's lots of different types of jobs within this industry 
um, and they're all just lumped together because Andy Breckman and this TV show don't actually care. Uh, they don't. It's not worthwhile to them. It's trash. Everyone's embarrassed to be doing it anyway. Apart from Mrs. Rebecca Zucker, who I fucking love. Um, AO, this is AOM's business partner, played, I think, by Ellen Ratner, who does a great job. And she runs his whole company. She's a great manager. She takes no shit, not even from dead people. And then she offers Cora a job, which is like, hell yeah. Cora looks great. Um, obviously, she'd be a great dancer. And Josh Groban, like, goes to defend her honour. So she undermines him and takes the fucking business card. Hell yeah, Cora. You decide what happens to your body. Get that extra cash. Also, she said it'd be like $800 for an evening's work. I'd do that. So anyone looking for a stripper, hire me, maybe. I can't dance. I never, like, my limbs grew. I was very short when I was younger. And then my limbs grew really quickly. And I never, like, reconnected with them. So I'm just very gangly. But you can't tell that because this is an audio medium. So we find out in this interview that AOM didn't always respect boundaries the way he should, which is why it's important that women are at the top of the sex work field in managerial positions because they're less likely to take advantage of the inherent powers that come with um, hiring potentially vulnerable young people. Again, men have proved themselves in this episode to be trash. Josh Groban tries to make Cora potentially getting paid $800 for a night's work about him, and then the scene ends. Next scene, we're at AOM's apartment, which is just gross. And they're looking for something he could have used to back up his hard drive, because the killer took his laptop. Um, and he has the biggest porn collection in the world, and also Dawson's Creek seasons 8 and 9 which Cora knows because she's great and loves Dawson's Creek. There is no season eight and nine. So inside the actual DVDs are just loads and loads of evidence. This is where he's backed up his hard drive essentially. Um, and Josh Groban is off to have lunch with his dad and his new stepmom, Belinda Mannix. Next scene, we're at the bar. Tony Senior is making everything about him, singing and generally just being the fucking worst. Belinda's got a meeting, so she's not there. Tony Senior confirms that what I was saying earlier about him not thinking detectives should be able to figure out women when he says the old adage, women, take a smarter man than me to figure them out. Fuck this dude. Literally fuck this fucking dude. He then moves on to say that this is a serious relationship between a man and a Victoria's Secret supermodel. I would like to say once again, Fuck this dude! Fuck him! This is so fucking annoying! I had to sit through and watch all of this, and I've watched it like three times, and it doesn't get better or easier to watch. Like, I don't mind occasional misogyny or whatever in TV shows if it's, like, done kind of well. Like, if it makes sense, and if it's called out, or if it's a joke, or what the fuck ever. This just isn't anything. This is just... Guys being dudes. The kind of shit that you hear every day as a woman, and I'm fucking over it. Oh, yeah, he calls it, so... Belinda Mannix is younger than Josh Groban and Tony Danza promised not to date anyone younger than Josh Groban but he says it's the swimsuit edition exemption how the fuck is this a family friendly show this is not even a woman friendly show I want to die inside they use the phrase derail her whole career for a second time and I'm losing the will to live because we're only halfway through this fucking episode. Next scene, we're in like an underground car park. Belinda gets the laptop 
Oh yeah, this is gonna need a bit of explaining. So they're in this car park. It's the bunny head murderer, and we know that because he pops the trunk. There's the bunny head, and he gets the laptop. And ooh, it's Belinda Mannix. She's involved in some way because he gives her the laptop, and then she explains the plot of the TV show that we are currently watching. Sorry, the audio quality turns shit. Grace is an idiot who doesn't know how to do things. She confirms the kill with the hitman, then pulls this like sick double taser shoot move where she kills him. Um, hell yeah. I hope that made sense. We're moving on to the next scene and it's like the same place, but they've made it into a crime scene now. Like some the body's been discovered, all of that. Belinda Mannix turns up um, and gets special treatment and then contaminates the crime scene. Um, and this is when Josh Groban starts getting really suspicious. The scene is far too long. Let's move on. Cool, it should be fine now. Sorry for that. Oh good, I've written under this next scene, police station. Another trash scene. Burrell and the IT guy, Ryan, are watching the secret tapes that they found in Dawson's Creek seasons 8 and 9. And I would like at this point to shout out all the actors who were acting on the tape that they're watching. They aren't in the, the credits or anything. Burrell says that the people on the tapes are husbands, politicians, doctors, people who would pay good money to have these tapes disappear. And then it cuts to a clip and it's a bunch of like half ass frat boys. And Burrell and Ryan are completely gross and make all these comments about it not being work if you love your job because they get to watch videos of women dancing like without the consent of any person in the video and and we can assume that they that there are like people in these videos participating in sexual acts again this is a family friendly show with no dirty plot lines that's what the reviews say so these police detectives are participating in the non-consensual activity that makes me incredibly uncomfortable because it's like a joke does it not make other people uncomfortable? Like, am I in the wrong here? I feel like I'm screaming into a void. I'm genuinely having like a mild breakdown about this, you guys. You can probably hear it. I don't think this is going to be a fun episode to listen to, but I need to get it out of my system. Okay, next scene. She's late to a photo shoot and she's bringing a friend. That friend is Tony Danza. Tony Danza notices she's got blood on her hand. Then he remembers where his phone is. Next scene. They're at the taxi rank. Um, he left his phone in the taxi, but the taxi place is closed. And he's like, oh, let's let's come home. Let's go back tomorrow. She says, I don't do tomorrow. I need you today. So he fucking breaks in, breaking his parole and risking going back to prison after. I think we're meant to think that, like, she gives him a blowjob? Or, like, maybe just, like, a quick handy. But, like, something, something goes on. I'd... It, I, I don't know honestly guys um i'm over it i'm over this whole thing but i'm gonna play you just like a weird moment of dialogue he goes so he's breaking in and he goes in through a window this is what happens when he falls to the ground it just seems like a very weird intonation for him to be like i'm okay and her to be like you okay it, it doesn't work together. I just elbowed a fucking wall. Ow. So he finds his phone and listens to the message, which is like 14 minutes long. And he hears her being mean about him harassing her. And we're like, oh no, Tony, I'm so sorry that this woman has a mind and like did not want you there. 
And then, like, we knew what was going to happen. It's a very predictable show. He hears the whole thing about her booking a hitman or whatever. Um, But I would like to quickly say that that message is 14 minutes long and he listens to about 20 seconds of it. What's on the other 13 minutes, 40 seconds? That's what I'm interested in. That's much cooler than whatever's going on in this TV episode. But we don't get to find out. So let's move on. Next scene. Police station. In one of the the videos, they're still watching these fucking videos, and there's Candy, and oh, it's she has a shitty parrot tattoo, and it's like oh shit, it's Belinda Mannix. Oh shit, she's currently like full U-hauling with Tony Danza. Tony's in trouble. So next scene, we're at church. It really comes out of nowhere. But Tony, they're in, like, the the confessional box things. Um, And Tony is asking forgiveness from a priest because he wants to fuck a Victoria's Secret supermodel more than he doesn't want to die. Um, Tony is asking forgiveness from this priest because he wants to fuck a Victoria's Secret supermodel more than he doesn't want to fuck a murderer. There's like, it, it's a lot of very weird character building in this scene. Oh, and then, like, so he's talking for fucking ages and he says, the priest says, well, what do you want me to say? And I missed this, like, the first three times I watched this episode, I missed it. But he, I'm going to find it for you guys. I know this isn't going to happen, but I just wish you could say, bang her in peace. Murder me. Like, Belinda Mannix, come get your girl. Your girl is me. Come murder me. Um, bang her in peace. Like, that is funny, but... No, that, that's pretty funny. <laughs> also, where does Belinda Mannix think he is right now? That's the other thing, because he's just in church. She, she's nowhere to be seen. The whole thing's weird. Let's move on again. Also, I promise, guys... <sighs> Sorry, that was just me yawning. I'm very tired because I'm very busy. Um, Oh, yeah, we're nearly done. So that's exciting. Isn't it great when you're excited to finish watching a TV show? So next scene, they're back at the police station. They're tracking Tony Danza. He's at Belinda Mannix's loft. Cora's going with them. It's another filler scene. As a side note, I really wanted to put in the clip of Katya Zamlochkova, the drag queen, saying that Violet Chachki called her a filler queen. Like, I thought that'd be funny, but I couldn't find the clip anywhere, so... Sorry, guys. Next scene, Belinda's loft. She's laying on incredibly thick, very nice wine, lots of compliments. She really is. She even calls him Tony the Tiger. And she she tells him she's obsessed with him. Then they kiss, and it's like a full-out, like, kiss. And he's like, oh no, sorry, I can't, I can't. And then his phone starts fucking ringing because this mob boss has forgotten to put his phone on fucking silent. She's stupid. Oh yeah, as a side note, um, I love Tony and Wendell's friendship. Um, Wendell Kirk, we saw him at the beginning of the episode, we saw him in the last episode. Wendell can't go bowling on Thursday, so we're going on Friday instead. And I just think it's nice. Friendship's important, my dudes, you know? So now they're fighting for the phone and Tony and Cora are like ringing the buzzer trying to get in. Belinda Mannix has a great idea which is put the phone in the microwave to destroy it. Genius. And it's actually quite a funny little 
scene until she like fucking glasses him and chucks that phone out the window. But don't worry, our hero, young Tony, who has done fuck all in this episode, catches that shit like it's fresh as flu. Belinda Mannix gets arrested. Everything's fine. They wrap, they just, they're just wrapping that shit up in a little bow. And we end on Tony saying to Tony, she's out of my league. And Tony replying to Tony, you're out of her league. There is then a seven second silence in which they just sort of sit there. The show passes the Bechdel test, which is exciting. Um, But also fuck this episode and everything it stands for. I hope you enjoyed whatever just happened in the cupboard that I am currently sitting in recording this. I'll see you guys later, probably. I have no idea when the next episode's going to be out because I'm very busy over the next, like, following weeks or so. But we'll see how it goes. You guys don't care and neither do I. So it's it's all good. Um, And I will see you all on wherever you listen to these fucking episodes. Bye! Oh, that hurt.